1: Brittany and I
0: are not doctors, dietitians, mental health professionals, experts on endometriosis,
1: or any kind of qualified medical professional. So that means that none of the information we share on this podcast is medical or mental health advice. If you get inspired by something we say, always consult your qualified medical professional first before making any changes. Today we're back on our episode
0: about excision surgery. So if you missed part one, we definitely recommend that you go back and listen to that first. In part one, we spoke about an overview of excision versus ablation surgery. We also talked about the robot and other tools that excision surgeons can use. We defined persistence versus recurrence. As a reminder, persistence is when endometriosis is left behind in surgery and therefore persists. And then we talked about recurrence, which is when endometriosis actually was removed and comes back. And then finally, we gave some different statistics and facts and information about recurrence with different types of endometriosis and stages and parts in the body. Today, we're going to talk more about excision and what could be some factors for different recurrence rates among
1: studies. So the first one I'm going to mention is spot excision. And spot excision is excision of endolesions within narrow margins. Then there's wide excision. I'm sure you can guess. But it's excision of endolesions and any spots that appear abnormal, they're removed within wide margins. Okay. So spot
0: is where you kind of just like cut really close. Pinpoint. Yeah. And wide is when you
1: go wide. Yeah. I think like hole punch versus like scissor cut.
0: Oh. You know, hole punch is
1: like Oop, tiny round boop, and then scissors. You like cut whatever size you want.
0: Oh, I like it. Yeah. I think I heard some surgeons talking about like what they consider, like how wide do they go? And I don't think there's any general consensus. I think it varies per surgeon. Like some have like a two centimeter margin, some excise until they you know, really feel that the tissue that they're leaving behind is healthy. So I don't think there's like, they have a ruler and they're measuring in there. No, but...
1: (laughs) It's all subjective.
0: Yeah, but surgeons with a well-trained eye generally know how wide to go to really make sure they get all of the endometriosis.
1: And now for the fun one called total peritoneal excision, or also called peritoneal stripping. Um... (laughs) Ew. <laughs> I thought that might peritoneal make you queasy. Peritoneal <laughs> stripping. Yeah. Oh, oh peel God. that peritoneum off. Ooh. Oh. But
0: Brittany, please <laughs> explain. Oh, God, I'm a vomit. It's
1: not going to make you feel better when I explain, explain it. Explain
0: what the peritoneum is.
1: <laughs> so the peritoneum is the lining of our pelvic cavity. And peritoneal stripping, or total peritoneal excision, is when they remove the peritoneum on the posterior and anterior cul-de-sacs and the pelvic sidewalls. And they remove that even if the tissue looks healthy or normal. So it's all stripped off. Hence, that name it's like the cool kids say Ooh, peritoneal stripping we don't call it tpe we call it peritoneal stripping when we peel the peritoneum off the walls oh, of your cavity oh god <laughs> i want to vomit <laughs> oh, it's god. pretty graphic it's pretty oh, graphic like
0: you can't see me but i'm literally like hugging myself <laughs> i'm curled up in a ball I'm, like trying not to vomit amy gets queasy very easily <laughs> oh god that's so gross why why do
1: they do that why do they strip away my peritoneum Ooh. Well, the idea is that the healthy-looking tissue might actually have endo, as Amy vomits over there. (laughs) So the idea is that it could have microscopic endometriosis. And something to know about microscopic endo is that there is conversation about how much does microscopic endometriosis actually exist, or is the term microscopic endo being used as an excuse for lack of skill? We talked more on this in our recent episode on the appearances of endo. But peritoneal stripping is a very radical surgery move, and it's actually frowned upon by most excision surgeon experts who believe that it may be unnecessary. So many excision surgeons would say that excising a lesion to clean margins. Oh, so to like wide margins. Yes. So just clean, neat. We got it all. That's more conservative, and it spares the tissue, obviously. Peritoneal stripping does not. Yeah, I mean, I think with a name like stripping, you know that the <laughs> tissue is not. Sound good. Being
0: being spared. Also, you know that that's not a conservative. No, surgery. not at all. Not at all. I'm pretty sure that they did not go in and do peritoneal stripping. In my oh, so that accident. didn't go in your stew.
1: Okay, good to know. <laughs> okay, thank That wasn't you on your tray
0: <laughs> for not peritoneal stripping. That's not very common. Nowadays, but we did just want to mention that because we just thought it, it was, first off, fun and it's just interesting. It does to, exist. It's just for me, like, really interesting to know all of these background facts on endometriosis. And, you know, I think that's something else you can ask your doctor. Do you do spot excision? Like, do you excise only the lesion? Do you excise with wide margins? And again, this question is not make it or break it. If they're like, oh, I don't do wide margins or if they say they do and you're like how wide
1: tell me how wide to the centimeter
0: (laughs) get out a ruler you draw a picture of a a really ugly looking red squiggly circle thing and then you're like now take a pair of scissors and excise this from
1: the paper show me how you would do it inside me this doctor's like um i I don't want you as a patient you need to leave (laughs) i'm choosing to not work on
0: you leave So we just want to talk generally about all these different aspects of excision surgery, but just keep in mind as we go over everything, like, a lot of this is just for your general knowledge, just so that you know that all of these things exist. You know, in my mind at the beginning, when I first got diagnosed with endo and had my excision surgery, like, I just really didn't know any of this. I didn't know that there were different surgeons with different skill levels. I didn't know that not all excision surgeons operate in all these different body parts because they don't have the skill level. I didn't know that there was a difference between spot and wide excision. Like, I didn't know any of these things. And now that I'm learning all of them, we just want to bring all this knowledge to all of you so that you know about it. All right. So now we want to change topics away from the peritoneal stripping. Oh, my gosh. Is it kind of like when you (laughs) wait? I have to make a terrible analogy here. Is it kind of like when you roast a pepper in the oven? Like you roast a red pepper? Oh, and and you peel the skin off? Yeah. But the skin comes off really easy of the pepper when you roast it. But when it's raw. Maybe
1: more like peeling a tomato where it kind of sticks and you have to really (laughs) peel it off. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Maybe that. (laughs)
0: God. Imagine peritone stripping on the eyeball. (laughs) Oh, God, must vomit.
1: Leave the eyeball
0: alone. (laughs) I'm actually so scared of surgeries. I don't know if it's because of my mom or, like, of watching my mom go through surgeries. I don't know. But I've always wanted LASIK. And then just the idea of getting LASIK makes me terrified, anxious, have panic attacks. People love LASIK, but that also freaks me out. Yeah. So in spite of all my talk about surgery on the eyeball, I don't think I could actually
1: handle a very common procedure of LASIK on the eyeball. I can't even put contacts in, so (laughs) that freaks me out too much.
0: All right, so back to risk factors for recurrence. It's really interesting because in the published studies that talk about recurrence, the rate of recurrence of endometriosis varies very widely from one study to the other. And most of the studies have not looked beyond five years post-op. So published recurrence rates range from a really impressive 6% recurrence, meaning that after surgery, they're saying, you know, only 6% of people who have excision have recurrence of endometriosis. And then, you know, on the farther, more abysmal end of recurrence rate, some studies are quoting 67%. Oof. And that 67% of people who have excision surgery have recurrence of And so it just makes you wonder, like, how can the rate of recurrence be so different from one study to the other? And what is the real rate of recurrence? Like, what rate of recurrence is reliable and,
1: you know, potentially the
0: most accurate? So
1: I'm wondering why it's so different. Like, what is it depending on? What are the factors? So one of the things it
0: depends on is the actual definition of recurrence as used in the study, which is really important, right? Because if different studies are defining recurrence as something different, then how can we get a general consensus if one study is saying that the definition of recurrence is a relapse of pain, or another study is saying a definition of recurrence is the lack of improvement in fertility, or another study is saying, that the definition of recurrence is actually seeing lesions with an ultrasound or, you know, in a subsequent surgery. All those definitions are really different, right? For me, I think my own personal definition of recurrence, like when I think of endometriosis recurrence, I'm thinking of endometriosis coming back and being seen with an ultrasound or in a subsequent surgery. But I think a lot of times when we hear people talking about after they have excision surgery, I hear people often saying like, it's been a year, my endo is back, my endo's back. But really what they're talking about is their symptoms are back. And without an ultrasound or surgery to look and see if endometriosis is there, we don't know if the endometriosis came back. And so I think this is something to keep in mind. Not only with the studies, is that they have varied definitions of recurrence, but also when we hear people talking, if all of my pain comes back, my endometriosis could have recurred, it could have come back, or it could have not recurred, but my pain has come back. And so those can be very, very different. And there are many cases when people's pain and symptoms come back, but in a subsequent surgery. Their endometriosis has not come back, although their symptoms have. And those symptoms could be due to something else, like another pain generator or another co condition. So the return of symptoms is not synonymous with the
1: return of endometriosis. Something I noticed among these studies that definitely plays a role is the sample size. Generally, as the amount of participants in the study increased or was larger and the sample size went up, the recurrence rates generally. Went down. So the sample size definitely has something to do with what the outcome of the study is. Of course. I mean, if you
0: do a study with 10 people and five of them have recurrence, well, let's define recurrence here as endometriosis seen as at a subsequent surgery, like actual visualization of endometriosis with the endoretina scanning eyeball or a regular eyeball from a well trained excision surgeon. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, if you have five people have recurrence of endometriosis, but you only look at 10 people, that's 50% of people. But if you have 100 people and maybe 20 people had their endo come back, then that's 20% of people. So of course, the sample size, generally as the sample size gets bigger, I think we get more accurate statistics. Something else that can play a role in the rate of recurrence in these studies is the radicalism of the surgery. What I mean by that is like the extensiveness of the surgery. So for example, there was a study done by Fideli and his colleagues. They looked at 47 patients with bladder endometriosis, of those, 33 patients had endometriosis lesions involving the vesical base and the vesicouterine septum. So I googled that, and I'm still not quite sure what it is. <laughs> but as far as I could tell, it's an area that separates the vaginal cavity from the bladder. But anyways, so in these patients... They looked at recurrence rates of symptoms and actual clinical evidence of endometriosis 36 months after excision, which is three years after excision. The study said the only factor influencing rate of recurrence was the extent of surgical excision. When the resection, so when the removal of the endometriosis lesion, was done on both the vesicle endolesion and a 0.5 to 1 centimeter deep portion of the adjacent myometrium, the rate of recurrence was 7% for symptoms and 0 for the actual clinical recurrence. But for the people who only had the bladder lesions removed, their rate of recurrence of symptoms was 37%, and for clinical evidence of the lesions, it was 26%. I think the study is just really interesting because it showed, at least in this case with the bladder lesions, that the wider excision gave
1: significantly better results. I think another factor that's important to look at in these studies is also the length of the follow-up. So as Amy said, many of the studies don't follow up past five years, and the amount in which they do follow up varies within all studies. So the longer the time between the first surgery and the follow-up, the higher the risk of recurrence is what generally kind of appeared in these studies. So that's also interesting to know is that when we're looking at things, all of these factors play into the data that we're being given.
0: Something else is that other studies have said that disease stage and lesion type are factors that affect recurrence, and that's something that we talked about in part one.
1: Okay, so the final factor that we're going to talk about and it, you know, it's probably not the most important, but like maybe it is. I'm just wondering if you can guess what this final factor is after listening to everything that we've been talking about, how important this final factor actually is. What do you think it is? So is it maybe it's important or is it actually important? It's actually important. I like, can't read your sarcasm right now. <laughs> it's maybe important. No, definitely important. It's the most important. Yes. It is the most important. What do you think it is?
0: If they do pericinal stripping on your eyeball?
1: um, Definitely no. <laughs> definitely no. <laughs> but like adjacent to that is... Maybe maybe you, like, got if, a point 0.5. You got, like, a half a point for that if one. If the
0: surgeon eats... Wait, wait. Part one is, is it coming, all coming back, back to you?
1: <laughs> me. Hold on. What I'm did holding. we really talk about in part one?
0: If the surgeon eats sushi prior to engaging in your surgery?
1: That is a very important factor that we did not list here, but I don't think it's the most important
0: factor. <laughs> I don't know, really. I stop. I'm sweating. I'm nervous. I don't know what yes, the is. Yes, you do know. Are you ready? <gasps>
1: I do know weights. What? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I lost it. All that buildup for nothing. The brain fog is thick today. you ready. you ready? Yes. Okay. It's the surgeon's skill level. Oh, yes. Yeah, I told you you knew. Yes, it. <laughs> I knew that, but then I forgot. Hence my sarcasm of saying it's... Not really that important. No, it's absolutely the crucial and most important factor. Oh, I remember factor. now. We said that excision surgery is really operator dependent. Yes. and the
0: operator, not the one you call on the phone, operation, but the operator <laughs> of
1: the tools exactly, the scalpel and the robot and the shears and the everything, all the things. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's operator dependent. Uh-huh. There's a fascinating study done by Carmona and his colleagues, which looked at a surgeon's first 60 cases of conservative laparoscopic surgery for rectovaginal endo. They split the 60 patients into two groups. So the first 30 cases were patients 1 through 30 versus the second 30 cases they did, so patients 31 through 60. Oh, good. I'm so glad they
0: clarified that and made it really easy, (laughs) patients 1 through 30. And 31 through 60, because
1: sometimes these studies can be really confusing. Fair. (laughs) So these groups were similar in their patient characteristics. So what they found was that as the surgeon's experience increased, the operating times were shorter. There was less estimated amount of blood loss, less cases of incomplete removal of endo, and lower recurrence rates, among some other findings. So the researchers also found that surgical completeness was significantly associated with the recurrence of the disease. So the more complete the removal of endo, the less recurrence. The recurrence rate for the first patients, group 1 through 30, was 30%. The recurrence rate for the second group of patients, 31 through 60, was 10%. Which is really fascinating to show that over time with experience, their rate of recurrence did decrease, according to this study. Well, I mean, that makes sense,
0: right? That makes sense that... We, we would hope that would be the case. That makes sense <laughs> that as the surgeon is building skill, you know, they're getting a better well-trained eye to pick out endometriosis. They're getting better at fully excising, spotting endometriosis in abnormal tissues, getting endometriosis in more complicated areas. I mean, it makes perfect sense that as the surgeon does more surgeries, their skill improves. And again, it just harps home on that point that surgeon's skill and experience level is extremely important when it comes to surgery and not just excision surgery. In all surgery, it's really important, the surgeon's skill level. I certainly do not want to be the first patient that they're operating on or even the first hundred patients that they're operating on. And really, I don't want to be in the first thousand.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Talk to me after you have a thousand under your belt. (laughs) Well, you know, the other thing
0: is like when we see studies on excision and it shows different recurrence rates, like I found a really, really interesting study and they had followed patients in the same hospital over 20 years with excision surgery and the rates were kind of high. And the thing is, we don't know the skill level of the surgeons that are being reported in these studies. When these studies are being done, generally there is no third-party checking with a second pair of well-trained eyes to see if all the
1: endometriosis was removed. Well, because nobody's watching the surgeon while they do the surgery, when it comes to measuring recurrence rates, we don't know if it was persistence or recurrence, right? Exactly. You know, if they're doing the studies
0: and they have someone, like, I don't know if they have to submit their videos somewhere, or if someone is in there checking, we can... Get a maybe a better accurate picture on whether or not endometriosis was fully removed, or if endometriosis was actually accidentally left behind and inadvertently left behind. Like, there's often no way to know the skill levels of these surgeons and the studies that are being published, and so the skill levels are all over the board, and you know it paints a picture of excision that is really dependent on these factors. There are multiple factors as to why studies have found endo recurrence rates from six to sixty-seven percent. But we do want to point out that when we look at the data from specialized surgical centers or high-volume excision surgeons, the rate of recurrence of endometriosis is consistently low—some seven to twenty percent—and that's because these surgeons have the trained eye and hand. To both spot all the appearances of endometriosis, even subtle atypical appearances, and then fully excise it from all locations in the body. Then I think that's why it's really important to find out what the rate of recurrence in the surgeon that you're going to have your surgery with, what is their personal rate of recurrence? What is the rate of recurrence for them personally? You know, a good surgeon will be following their patients following the post-op reports and subsequent surgeries, knowing the reoperation rate and knowing the percentage of endometriosis that is found in subsequent operations. And I think it's a really good sign if the surgeon thinks it's important to know that data. You know, because if the surgeon believes you're just an endometriosis factory and your endometriosis is going to come back and they <laughs> have no idea their rate of reoperation or the rate of recurrence, then maybe they're not even trying to get all the endometriosis in the first place. And I actually don't know the rate of reoperation or the rate of recurrence of my surgeon because I never asked. Like, I never asked any of these questions because when I was getting my excision three years ago, I was so new to endometriosis that I didn't know to ask these questions. That's why we're
1: here right now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So that you know to ask these questions. I had no idea. I was like, oh my gosh, this surgeon does excision and takes my insurance. Woohoo! And then then I I just (laughs) went for it. So, you know, and the outcome was good. But other times people are not having such a great outcome from their excision surgery. And we can ask all the right questions in the world and we may still not have a good outcome, but questions can really help us make that informed decision.
1: We just want to point out that the factors we just spoke about for excision outcomes in studies was all clearly summarized in a 2016 research article called, quote, Recurrence of Endometriosis, Risk Factors, Mechanisms and biomarkers, end quote, by Gherkin Bosdag. If you want to look at it, we've linked it, of course, in our show notes of the episode on our website, in16years.com. It's a really interesting read, and there were more things in that article that we didn't talk about, so definitely encourage giving it a read if you're interested. Also, as the title says, it also looks into biomarkers in the body for potential recurrence of endo. So while there's nothing conclusive yet, It looked at some articles exploring whether different biomarkers, such as the COX-2 expression. I'll just come in here and say COX-2 produces
0: inflammation and pain in the body. Our gene transcription factors. Ooh, me again. Gene transcription factors turn genes on and off.
1: And sex steroid synthesis. Such as estrogen receptors, etc. These things may play a role in the recurrence or formation of our endometriosis. And additionally, the study that we looked at, the Recurrence of Endometriosis Risk Factors Mechanisms and Biomarkers, also said that not all authors are in agreement on what may influence recurrence rates. Of course not. Naturally.
0: Because no, nothing with endometriosis is ever in agreement. Or conclusive. Endometriosis (laughs) is such a highly debated disease between researchers and scientists and doctors and experts. There's just... There's so many factors of endometriosis where there's not really a general consensus. And I also think this really comes down in some parts to misinformation about the disease.
1: Yeah, it makes total sense why there's not 100% conclusive agreement because of how complex endo is. And many of these studies give suggestions or indications of what factors play a role, but there's still so much that we don't know about endo and why it recurs in some people, but not in others. We just spoke about factors that could influence a study's rate of recurrence, but we didn't say anything about factors that may not influence the rate of recurrence.
0: Ooh, tell me what may not influence the the rate
1: of recurrence if you have endo in your
0: eyeball, (laughs) if you eat sushi every day with your eyeball, if you like the color (laughs) blue versus the color black. Ooh. If you have a cat or a dog. Okay, wow. Well. Actually, I feel like cat people are less likely to have recurrence. Mm, I don't know. Because cat people are just favored by the universe in general.
1: So. Yeah, I don't think
0: so. <laughs> We're going to let her have that one. Let's. Oh my gosh, let's do a poll on Instagram and say, okay, do you have pathological confirmation that you have recurrence of endometriosis and do you have a cat or a dog? That's going to be a complex question, <laughs> and then it'll be one of those studies that they put out that's like a total BS study, and it's like people with cats have less endometriosis. Going a Buzzfeed article, or exactly. <laughs> and it's like, mm, let's not confuse correlation not an Instagram poll. with causation. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. And then it'll be like, get a cat if you don't want your endometriosis to recur. <laughs> the, I'm laughing, but like that could happen. actually weird. <laughs> I mean, it sounds ridiculous when you look at it in terms of getting a cat. But there are plenty of studies out there where they do confuse correlation with causation. So it's like just because there appears to be a connection, like people who have cats have less recurrence, it doesn't mean that actually because you have a cat, you have less recurrence. So although that sounds ridiculous in this context, there are plenty of research articles that are total trash. Because of that one reason. Because (laughs) they've confused an association or just a coincidence with a link or a causation. But I do think having my cats helped a lot. (laughs) So everyone go get a cat. No. Even if you're allergic.
1: No. Yeah, that'll be good
0: for the body. (laughs) we are not going to do that. That won't drive up your levels of inflammation. Amy may recommend that. I do not recommend that.
1: (laughs) Okay, so for real reasons, that may not influence the rate of recurrence, not whether or not you have a cat or put sushi in your eyeball or like the color blue more than black. So some researchers report that the patient's age when they first menstruated does not significantly affect recurrence risk, nor does the patient's purported body mass index, size of their largest cyst at surgery, or having fibroids as well as endo.
0: But of course, as Brittany said, not all authors are in agreement on everything. Some authors report the patient's age doesn't matter at the time of surgery, but others report that it does matter and that endo in younger patients tends to be more aggressive. So every time we learn about endometriosis, two main factors come up. We don't know enough about this disease, and not everyone agrees on anything. Having said that, I will say two things. First, that recurrence can happen. And some researchers report higher recurrence with ovarian endometriosis, stage 3 and stage 4 endometriosis and in patients who were younger, and as more time passes after surgery. And then second, I want to say that while not everyone agrees on everything, there is one thing that keeps repeating itself in all the studies that we looked at, and that's the fact that the surgeon doing a complete excision as in removing all of the endometriosis, that decreases the risk of recurrence Even in younger patients. And that lack of complete excision or an incomplete excision is an important risk factor for recurrence.
1: Which typically comes back to the surgeon's skill level, if you didn't know that already. (laughs) How many
0: times are we going to say that? An infinite amount of times. (laughs) Because it's so important. (laughs) But we don't want anyone to get hung up on risk factors for recurrence that are not in our control. You know, like we don't want anyone to say, oh no, I have stage four, so mine is going to recur. I just know it. We don't know that. We have no clue what is going to happen post-surgery. I mean, I had stage four and I had ovarian endometriosis, even on righty, the ovary that's still in my body. All lefty you were a true friend <laughs> until you had to get removed. <laughs> and while I'm not in the younger category anymore, which is totally fine because as I age, it's actually really enjoyable because I'm like, oh my gosh,
1: I actually am getting wiser and more knowledgeable. The wisdom that comes with aging is literally irreplaceable.
0: I love it. I'm like, yeah, my hair is definitely turning gray and you can definitely tell because I have black hair. So all the grays are like, ee! it's the more like white hairs. I don't even have gray hair. It's like, your beautiful, have like, like silverly platinum hair. Wait, and I have streaks of the good thing is that all the gray in my hair is streaks. I have it's like very nice two actually. streaks of big streaks,
1: mm-hmm. like two locks. I think of, it looks very becoming. Thank you. But it's true that when you look back on time as you age, you realize how completely and utterly changed you are, and that's an amazing thing to be able to realize. So, aging is a good thing.
0: So, while I'm not in the younger
1: category. Which is fine.
0: Four years has actually passed since my excision. And thankfully, I continue to be without any sign of recurrence. I have almost no endosymptoms anymore. I have no pain at all from endometriosis. I mean, I have pain from lots of other stuff, <laughs> like a lot of other stuff, but I don't have pain from endometriosis anymore. I don't have painful periods, which still blows my mind. I don't have painful bowel movements. And actually, I even still have endometriosis in my body. You know, my surgeon left behind some of the rectal endometriosis. A little trinket to
1: always remember (gasps) it by. (laughs) So cute.
0: (laughs) So I know it's really hard, but trying not to go into surgery thinking, oh, my gosh, what if my endometriosis recurs? Or, you know, then we can take it even further. Like, my mind loves catastrophizing. So I'll be like, oh, I just know that my endometriosis is going to recur after excision. I just know that's going to happen. But I don't know that that's going to happen. And it's hard not to get hung up on the what ifs, especially because excision is a huge emotional and financial investment and undertaking. And of course, we want the best outcome possible because we're suffering like we are suffering every single day. And I think one of our biggest fears in this community is that we're going to have excision surgery and it's going to, you know, not work, quote unquote and that it's not going to help us feel better, or maybe we're going to feel better for a while, but then our symptoms are going to
1: come roaring back. I think our best advice to ourselves, to each other, and to you is to live in the now. As someone with generalized anxiety disorder, it's really hard for me to not obsessively worry about the future, to borrow worry from the future, as it were. But while I have a really hard time controlling my worry, I do recognize that Stressing and fretting about what may or may not happen in the future just causes me suffering now. In addition to the potential suffering I cause in the future, I also have to suffer now. I suffer and I ruminate and I agonize and I spiral about what might happen, and often it doesn't happen, because with anxiety you tend to go to the worst-case scenario, which odds are is not going to happen. But because I worried about it so much, I lose hours of my life and my energy and I spend it upset about something that never actually even came to pass. None of us know or can predict if we will have endometriosis recurrence or persistence. So if you can, try to just be in the moment that you're in. Oh, you're asking so much. Well, there's enough for you to stress about in But you in gave this a moment. really good speech
0: about it. Like, I feel empowered. I'm like, ooh, <laughs> ooh, they're asking a lot. And then I'm like, mm, but, I
1: mean, they can do it. I can
0: do. it. And I'm like, <laughs> ooh, they're asking me a lot. Ooh.
1: I know. I know I'm asking a lot. As somebody who deals with this as well, I know it's asking a lot. But if you're preparing for an upcoming surgery, that's already enough to deal with. Be in that moment get ready, put things in order. If you're recovering, focus on recovery, both physical, emotional, and mental recovery. If you have recovered and you still have symptoms, look into other pain generators and co-conditions. And if your endometriosis does persist or recur, you'll be able to handle it then. You handled it before, you're handling it now, and you'll be able to handle it then. But before that, happens if it happens. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to handle it because it hasn't happened yet. So it's important to try to free yourself from that emotional burden when you already have a big enough one already. Now we want to highlight two studies that talk about how the patients felt after excision, because while we just talked about the recurrence rates of endo, we want to talk about how patients may feel physically or even emotionally after excision.
0: So there was a study done by Abbott, and it basically looks at the effects and effectiveness of laparoscopic excision of endometriosis with a two- to five-year follow-up. And basically what they did was between two to five years, so different people had different follow-up periods that were between two and five years after excision surgery, they looked at 176 people who had severe pain symptoms prior to their excision surgery. They asked these people to score their different levels of pain for different aspects. So, you know, they said, what was your level of pain before excision? And what was your level of pain after excision? So what they found was that the average scores for painful periods decreased from nine pre-excision to three post-excision. For non-menstrual pelvic pain, the average score went from eight pre-excision to three post-excision. Oh, and I want to point out that these were out of 10. So zero being you have no pain and ten being you have the most pain, the maximum pain. When they looked at painful intercourse, the average score went from seven preexcision to zero post-excision and when they looked at painful bowel movements the average score went from 7 pre excision to 2 post excision
1: wow that is really interesting that's a massive average decrease in pain for these 176 participants that's really astonishing
0: so i've also seen a really big reduction in my that's amazing in my symptoms i know not everyone sees these reductions but i think it is really hopeful and promising to hear that a lot of people have a good reduction with excision surgery, with their symptoms.
1: This study actually also measured the quality of life of its participants, which I always find really interesting. And they did find that there was increase in sexual functioning, and their discomfort levels also were observed to decrease, which is a relief to hear. <laughs> That's what we all want. They then went on to measure the five-year cumulative probability Of how many of the percent of people requiring an additional surgery, and that percentage was 36%. Of those participants who actually did have a further surgery, the endometriosis was found in about 68% of people. And this was found histologically with a pathology report. What was most interesting about this is that the return of pain symptoms or the pain coming back following their laparoscopic excision wasn't always associated or directly correlated with the actual endometriosis recurring. So that's very interesting. So pain didn't equal endometriosis has recurred. So as I mentioned before, some of my favorite studies are quality of life studies, and there was one that was done to measure quality of life or various points of data. Things like pain, control and powerlessness, emotions, social support, and self-image. So this study was done on 45 patients who had excision surgery all at various different times. And what they did was they gave a survey to them. The survey is called the Endometriosis Health Profile 30, or EHP 30. So because all 45 patients had excision at different times, they all received the survey at different times, so between two and a half to seven years after they had their surgery. So, what the survey did was it took their scores on their post operative survey and compared them to their baseline scores of what their symptoms were before their excision surgery. So, there were significant improvements in all of those markers the pain, control, and powerlessness, emotions, social support, and self image. And what's very interesting to note is that those improvements didn't significantly differ regardless of what their stage of endometriosis was. I think what's really interesting with this study is that it measured five markers that aren't only the pain level. So as Amy kind of mentioned with her excision surgery, there was a difference in the pain level but also in all of those other quality of life markers. For her, there was an improvement in control and powerlessness in her emotions, in her social support, and her self-image. And I think that that's really incredible that with a surgery like this, we could have multiple outcomes that could be improvements in our quality of life, things we didn't expect to get better for us, things that we didn't expect to improve. And I think that's really wonderful that something like this can improve our symptoms in ways that actually have a ripple effect on other parts of our lives.
0: So these are just a couple of studies that we found really interesting. Like I said, they're on in16years.com. I'll also link in the show notes a an article written on the Center for Endometriosis Cares website. And it actually has a lot of different studies that have been done on excision and like different positive outcomes. All right. So now we've heard all about the wonders of excision surgery and After you get excision surgery, you can walk
1: on water. I didn't say that, uh, uh, but I did say that you could turn water into wine. (laughs) (laughs) I think we all would like that power. (laughs) (laughs) Not me, because I don't drink wine. I'd like to
0: turn water into... Pineapple juice.
1: Mango. Watermelon juice. That does not
0: make me sick. (laughs) Magical juice. (laughs) Any kind of juice that I like that does not affect my bladder (laughs) frequency and urgency. Yes. And pain. If you have excision surgery, you turn into the strongest person in the world. All right, Hercules. I was thinking of Hulk, but that's I fine. I mean, Hercules is cooler. Or Superman. Meh. Nah, Super. Hmm, endo. Person. <laughs> Super excision. Getter. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> yeah. SEG for short. Yeah. SEG. Oh, that's not attractive. If you have excision surgery, you can throw lightning bolts. Oh, wow. We got a little Zeus in here. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) If you have excision surgery, you can fly. Ooh. I mean, various superheroes. Now we're just superheroes. (laughs) (laughs) If you have excision surgery, you can throw spider webs from your wrist.
1: Oh, okay. And trap your enemies. Okay. And then devour them with your laser and retten oh, Whoa, eyeballs. whoa, okay.
0: Uh, that went fine. This is
1: devolved. It's something <laughs> I didn't expect. I was keeping up until that point. And if you have excision surgery, you become rich. Famous if you want, but I don't want to be famous. But you definitely can become rich. I just want enough money to be able to have a good excision surgery and, like, food.
0: <laughs> Never have <laughs> like to work again.
1: If you have excision surgery, suddenly your house turns
0: to gold and everything in it becomes plush and fluffy and shiny and
1: glittery. All right, King Midas.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, but it's easy to, we wanted to mention some positive outcomes of excision surgery for various reasons. One, because as we said, undergoing excision surgery can be a huge financial, emotional, and physical undertaking. And so it's nice to know that in many people, excision surgery can lead to an improvement of symptoms. I also think it's good to know some of these studies because sometimes we can have a really hard time if, for example, we need a referral from our GP or from our gynecologist, if we need a referral to go to an excision surgeon and we're not able to get that referral because there's plenty of Gynecologists and doctors who are just not informed that excision surgery is the gold standard, and it's also nice to really understand what like what the words the gold standard translate into for the patient. Because you know, medically speaking, we can say excision is the gold standard because it removes endometriosis at the root, and it can be excised and generally safely in any part of the body. But what does that actually mean for the patient? Like, what kind of benefits are we seeing as a patient? What kind of improvements are we seeing in the way that we feel? Because I think ultimately, you know, for me, yes, I want all my endometriosis removed at the root, but not all my endometriosis was removed at the root in my own excision surgery. But I still did have a really huge improvement in the quality of my life. And ultimately, that's all that I care about. I don't care if I have a little bit of endometriosis still in my body. I mean, I don't want that endometriosis Your rectum there. cares when it
1: tries to <laughs> poo every day, but.
0: <laughs> but, you know, what I really care about is how do I feel? Is my life livable? Is my life, can I go from surviving every single day to, you know, thriving? Survive to thrive. Oh, my. I know, I know. I hate <laughs> oh that. I, but you tell me another way to say that, that going from being in hell every day to not being in hell every day. Going from struggling to walking on the moon. Oh, whoa. (laughs) We just just had an astronaut glow up right there. I still can't walk on the moon.
1: (laughs) But, you know, just going from life being. From suffering to neutral or positive.
0: Or suffering a lot to suffering less. Mm -hmm. And I think that's all all of us really want is just to have an improvement in our symptoms and to just feel a little bit better or a lot bit better. Or to be any better at all, the strongest person in the world that can throw lightning <laughs> bolts, part water, walk on water, turn water into wine, and go to the moon oh, wow. with their ability to fly oh, and their wow. x ray vision. Oh, whoa, it just keeps getting And all the money in the world. Who is that surgeon that can do all
1: that for me? <laughs> what a life! <laughs> so, of course, we're talking about the positive outcomes of excision, and Amy has had a positive experience, but. As often as we hear great success stories, there are also stories of people who don't have successful outcomes or don't have the outcomes that they were hoping for after excision. There are people that continue to have pain, fatigue, symptoms, may end up having another surgery for persistence or recurrence of their endometriosis. And if this is you and it's happened or happening to you, we're so sorry. That's so. Utterly disappointing. It's infuriating. It's frustrating. And it's not fair, especially because we're excited and hopeful at the prospect of having excision surgery. And we're often desperate and exhausted after years and years of suffering and pain. And a promise of things maybe getting better can feel like such a way to get our hopes up. If you didn't have a good outcome or the outcome that you were expecting, or an outcome like other people in our community, we want you to know that it's not your fault. It's not your fault if your endometriosis recurred. It's not your fault if your surgeon missed your endometriosis. It's not your fault if you still have pain. It's not from anything that you did or questions you didn't ask or things that you didn't do. So please, we really don't want you to blame yourself. You shouldn't feel any guilt or be kicking yourself thinking that if you had just asked this question or if you had just looked deeper into the surgeon's history, things would have been better. You were doing the best that you could do and you did the best that you could do. We're all in pain. We're nauseous. We're exhausted. We're scared. We may be lonely or angry, anxious, lacking support, struggling with depression. There's so many things that Go on while we're living with endometriosis. And on top of that, so many things that we have to consider when we're looking at treatment or our next option. So you are doing everything that you can do and you are doing your best. And it's important for you to not blame yourself if the outcome of your excision surgery wasn't what you expected or wasn't as positive as other people in our community. And also,
0: we want to say that if you did not have an outcome that you're hoping for with excision surgery that this is a very real and valid experience and so Brittany and I are not here with our eyes shiny or (laughs) could I open my eyes that wide and shiny when I had endometriosis (laughs) on the eyeball no I mean maybe it could be like (laughs) permanently open if I endo was really taking up all that (laughs) space there but Brittany and I are not here like all shiny I'd like rose-colored
1: glasses about it. Oh,
0: excision helps everyone. Excision is a cure. Excision is not a cure. And excision does not give the same outcome for everyone because of so many different factors that we have already said. Things like the surgeon's skill and experience, things like where and how we have endometriosis, things like our own genetics and our body, things like our age. There are so many factors that can play into the outcome that we have for excision surgery. So we just really, really want to be clear that while Brittany and I wholeheartedly believe that endometriosis is a surgical disease that has to be removed by excision surgery, that the lesions have to be removed from the body to really start healing from endo, to lower that inflammation, to lower that pain, we know that Not everyone who has excision has a good outcome. And so we just really want you to know that if you have had excision and you have not had a reduction in your pain, that is real and that is valid. And we see you and we hear you and we're there for you. And we're so sorry that you did not have the outcome that you were hoping for. And that is really devastating and really disappointing. And in the next episode, we're going to talk a little bit more about those feelings. While I did have a really good outcome specifically from excision surgery, in my recovery with excision surgery, basically surgery triggered a bunch of events in my body that led to a new diagnosis of a new chronic condition. And so in the next episode, I'm going to talk about excision surgery for me, how I'm still healing all the different parts of my body that I'm still trying to heal, all my different co-conditions. And I'm also going to talk about these feelings of sadness and disappointment and frustration. And of course, it's not the same. It's not the same situation, but I think the feelings are quite similar.
1: So they say that excision is just step one in healing our body with endometriosis. And Amy's definitely found that to be true. For her, excision was step one. It made a huge difference in her symptoms and her quality of life. But she still has pain. She still has symptoms. You know, prior to excision, I thought that
0: everything going wrong in my body was from endometriosis. But after having excision, I realized that Nope. (laughs) A lot of it was endo, but some of it is from other pain generators. And that's what I'm still dealing
1: with now is figuring out what those pain generators are and how to treat them. She also got a new plethora of symptoms. So while it was step one, it wasn't the final step in healing her body. I love that you know me so well that you can talk about me, even though I'm right here and you could just
0: (laughs) ask me to talk about myself. You're like,
1: You talk about me enough. You talk about Amy. (laughs) You talk about yourself enough to me, so I can just say your. I know. I
0: love that. I absolutely (laughs) love that. You know me well enough to just talk about me as if it was talking about you. Yeah. And everything you say is always so spot on. You can also talk about how great I am. Mm, Yeah, I don't know. How funny I am. No, I've not experienced that. I don't know. I'm not sure. How
1: beautiful
0: I am. (laughs) How kind and compassionate I am. (laughs) (laughs) keep talking about my endometriosis <laughs> and all my plethora of syndrome. that's
1: all we're here for whatever <laughs> so if you're in a similar boat to amy or you had excision surgery and you didn't have the outcome you expected if you're in a similar boat that boat is sinking that is like <laughs> we are trying to bucket out the water <laughs> it's as
0: the the fast Titanic. as possible <laughs> the boat is going vertical we're oh, all no. holding on to the seats <laughs> to try not to Go under.
1: Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> Hold on for dear life. Well, if that <laughs> describes you, then next week's episode will definitely be a good one for you. Amy's gonna talk all about her experience and her feelings surrounding this frustration and disappointment and co conditions and things that have been happening in her body. So if you are in a similar sinking ship, I definitely recommend that you watch for next week's episode. Oh, but you're gonna be there, right, Brittany? The I way. mean okay. maybe. <laughs> <laughs> If it's Amy talking about Amy, I will be there to also talk about Amy. <laughs> Duh, of course. <laughs> okay. You're like Amy will be. I'm like, will you not be there, actually? <laughs> Are you telling me something? <laughs> uh, no, I will be there to talk about you with you. <laughs> yay!
0: <laughs> but just to not leave you hanging right now, and by hanging, I mean like holding on to this bolted-in chairs of the Titanic while hanging vertically because the Titanic is vertical at this point. Sinking. But just something. Like, as I said earlier, in my own case, if my symptoms came back, I could go back to the same surgeon. I could also look for a second opinion. So something that we can do if we've had excision and we didn't have the outcome we were hoping for is we can get another opinion. I think it is always good to get second opinions. And if we can, even third opinions. Because, like, five years ago, I had this epiphany that they say get a second opinion. And the word opinion is so crucial because it is not the doctor's hardcore facts. It is a subjective opinion based on the doctor's experience and knowledge and skill. Wow. And you put it like that, that really puts it in a new perspective. Isn't it? Because think about it. You see like, okay, I'm going to go for Grey's Anatomy for a minute. Oh, my. (laughs) You see on Grey's Anatomy, they go to the neurosurgeon, Derek Shepard McDreamy. Who's gone now from the show? But let's just go back to the first seasons where he was still there and looking dreamy. Actually, he was never my type, but,
1: <laughs> but for the sake but of argument. But he was called McDreamy.
0: <laughs> so anyway, he was a neurosurgeon. He would get these cases where people were like, yeah, I, I went to six different surgeons and they all said my brain tumor is inoperable. And he would look at the tumor and be like, "I can get that." Of course, all the surgeons—the drama of
1: TV, <laughs> all the surgeons are gods of in Grey's Anatomy, but I, unrealistic expectations. Grey's Anatomy.
0: Well, think about it. Okay, you go to your regular old, humdrum gynecologist, your your you know local gynecologist delivering babies, who says, "Oh, you have endometriosis, and I can do surgery, but you know, endometriosis on your intestines cannot be removed, or on your bladder." It's just too risky. How many of us have been told that or have had an ablation surgery or have had a surgery with a surgeon who told us that the endometriosis just could not be removed? But then we got a second opinion with a more knowledgeable, more qualified, more expert surgeon, usually an excision, that says, no, that can absolutely be removed from your body. So it really is the doctor's opinion. They're not like hardcore facts. Most of the time, you know, you could get 20 opinions and they could all say the same thing, but maybe the 21st opinion, you know, if we go to 20 doctors who all have a low skill level and we don't know that.
1: So the skill level, it matters. It all just comes
0: back to the skill level of the surgeon.
1: Yeah, and their experience and what their education is. If they have a very narrow viewpoint, then of course their knowledge is going to be different than a person who maybe has had a ton more experience, gone out of their way to find new things or learn new techniques or work with other doctors that are in different locations or different perspectives from them, it's going to mean that their worldview or their endo view is very different when compared to a person who hasn't had that experience. So that's the way that I think of doctors in terms of experience level is the breadth of where they're getting experience, not just a lot of experience in one place. Exactly. Your surgeon may be really good at, at removing
0: endometriosis from the peritoneum, but they may not be good at removing endometriosis from the bladder because they don't get a lot of those cases. But a surgeon with a high volume of complicated endometriosis cases could look at the, your endometriosis on the bladder that your previous surgeon said, oh no, this cannot be removed. This It's impossible to remove this because for them it was impossible. Their opinion is that, oh, this is impossible. We've never seen this removed. Why well, can't remove this? Because it can't be removed. Then you go to another surgeon, and they're like, oh,
1: easy pee. I do that at least three times a day. <laughs> but did you get my joke? Easy pee. Oh, come on. I was trying to glaze over you that. you see pun. the bladder? Yeah, we did. We all got easy. it. Easy. We, we got it in squeezy. Ye- oh, God.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, no more squeezy because it just comes yeah, out. Don't, yeah, don't squeeze me too hard, please.
1: <laughs> an Extruder, just everything comes out every end.
0: <laughs> Wait, and while we're making cheesy jokes,
1: while you're making cheesy
0: jokes, not me. Okay, while I'm making cheesy jokes, I love cheesy jokes since <laughs> I cannot mozzarella. eat cheese anymore. All so right, I cheddar. have to get my cheese fixed somewhere. All right, Gouda. And that's with my jokes. All right, Havarti. You didn't <laughs> say Parmesan, and that's the cheese I like.
1: <laughs> I was allowing you to say Parmesan. And also love goat cheese. Oh, yeah. Okay, I can I can get behind some goat cheese. Is that a goat? I don't
0: even know. Oh. <laughs> Okay, so I have another cheesy joke. You know what else influences a surgeon's view of endometriosis besides their experience? What? If they have an endoscanning retina or not.
1: Okay, you're cut off from the jokes. That's the last one. No more jokes. You're done. You met your quota of the day, cap down You you're had done. to know that joke was coming. Yes, I did, and I still let you do it, and I regret it. <laughs> <laughs> So the last thing that we want to talk about is access to excision surgery. We understand that it's not possible for everyone to access excision surgery, and it is inaccessible for many people. Excision can be cost prohibitive. It can be out of network with our insurance. It can be in another state, another country. It is unjust, and it is not fair that excision isn't available easily, and widely and accessible for everybody that needs it. There's so many hurdles to come across, even if it is accessible to us. And some people have to move states, countries, mountains, in order to get excision surgery. We want nothing
0: more than for you to find a surgeon that can fully excise your endometriosis, a surgeon that is affordable, a surgeon that is skilled, a surgeon that can
1: help you to feel better. Overall, if Amy and I can leave you with anything after this episode, it's that we don't want you to give up. Amy went 16 years without any treatment. She knows how desperate and scary and powerless and angry and isolating it can feel to be living with these symptoms every single day and for nobody to believe you, nobody to support you, and to be dismissed by the medical community,
0: hanging on to life by the skin of your teeth, your endo teeth, your and your teeth with endometriosis that are all going to be yanked out later because you have endo in them. Well, okay, that's not real. <laughs> yeah, we're just sarcasm at its finest.
1: Amy definitely knows what that experience is like, and I've watched that experience, and I can see how that affects our lives. People living with endometriosis, and. If you're not able to access excision surgery now, we don't want you to give up because your circumstances could change in the future. What we're living with currently can change. What is true today may not necessarily be true for tomorrow. As awareness grows for endometriosis, so does the attention and so do the numbers of surgeons that can do qualified expert excision care. So who knows? What's true today doesn't necessarily have to be true tomorrow. And if excision surgery isn't accessible for you now or tomorrow (laughs) in the next few years, there are things we can do like working on some of our co-conditions that may make us feel just a tiny little bit better. Or being really invested and involved in our community and finding a support system that makes you feel less alone. That's also super important. And hopefully one day you're able to see a reduction in your symptoms and in your pain. And nobody knows when that day will be or in what way it comes via excision or something else. But ultimately, we just want to express that we don't want you to give up because things can get better. And if you've had a surgery and you're frustrated by the outcome, that doesn't have to be the reality forever. Maybe you can get another surgery or maybe you can do some other things that can help you to manage your pain and symptoms. We don't want you to give up and we want you to know how in awe and how proud of you, Amy and I are, for living with endometriosis and doing everything that you can to survive and try to feel better. We're so proud of you.
0: Oh, Brittany, that was so beautiful. Cue Amy crying. Cue tears falling (laughs) from the endo eyeball. Oh, (laughs) So before we go, we would like to leave you with a question. Where do you think would be the worst place to have endometriosis? And we're talking like fun places because we know it's already the (laughs) worst place ever just to have endometriosis. So we mean like funny places like. A way to make yourself laugh places. On your nipple or. (laughs) (laughs) Ouch. (laughs) On your elbows. On the bottoms of your feet. Oof. For me, I really do think it would be the eyeball.
1: Yeah, I think for me it'd be like my butthole.
0: <laughs> Brittany, I have endometriosis in my rectum, which is pretty much almost the butthole. No, I, I
1: mean like like the actual rim of the butthole. <laughs> oh, like the outside? <laughs> like the butthole hole. Oh, my God. Wait, can I tell? How many times can we say butthole?
0: <laughs> I can do more. Can I tell a really quick two-minute story before Anicto, we end? Yes. Yeah. Okay, just so you know, we're totally done talking about excision for the day. So if you don't want to listen to my butthole story, you can just stop listening now because you're not going to miss anything about excision, except
1: you're going to miss my butthole story, which is really good. But (laughs) yeah, all the content is done, but we hope you'll keep listening because the butthole story is a really good story. And, you know, Amy and I are always on a quest to normalize talking about all of our body parts, even the ones that may be shunned or taboo in society. So buttholes may have a stigma, but not in this podcast. So we hope you'll stick around for the butthole story.
0: <laughs> the content is over. The butthole story.
1: The butthole <laughs> story is beginning. It was kind of a butthole. So the, <laughs> the butthole hole story <laughs> is about to begin. <laughs> right now.
0: So as I mentioned, I lived in Japan and I taught English. And when we had summer holiday from school, um, we, you know, we had like six weeks off. And I would, I would take trips to various parts of Asia because it was really close. And I took a month-long trip to China, which was really beautiful. I love Chinese culture. And it was really amazing to actually go to China and be there and just to see a culture that has been so interesting to me for a long time. But when I was in China... I got really sick with
1: endometriosis. Oh, shocker. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yay. And I ended up going to the hospital on the back of a donkey because I was in a really small town.
1: Oh. Because there yeah. was no
0: like Uber or, you know, I don't think Uber even existed. That was like seven or eight years ago. Mm-hmm. But um, there was no taxis or, you know, transportation. So I was thrown over the back of a donkey in the middle of a end of flare, writhing on the back of a donkey who brought me to the clinic i would because it wasn't really a hospital anyway my point is then at the clinic i got some kind of treatment but then i actually got some kind of bacterial infection that made me really sick and oh, I almost no. died
1: oh my god
0: and... but it, anyone could have gotten this infection so it's just one of those fluke things that happens sometimes when you get yeah, it
1: happens in the hospitals in america all the exactly.
0: time exactly so so my point because all of that was just fun information just going to the back of the <laughs> hospital Context. going on the back of a donkey to the clinic it's just fun so i, I mean to, that's pretty I to throw think, that in
1: there pretty ingenuitive you know like <laughs> we don't have transportation for her oh there's a donkey like props
0: <laughs> so i ended up with the bacterial infection having the kind like where you vomit and you have diarrhea but to the point where you almost can die like when you think about having food poisoning not like oh i had vomit and diarrhea i mean like water liquid, like yellow liquid was coming out and I was vomiting and I had to go back to the hospital and get treated for that and dehydration. That was all fun part of
1: my trip. Not really. Yeah, every time you go anywhere, this seems to happen to you. (laughs) We have it in Mongolia. Now we have it in China. You just need to stop traveling. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, like I said in the past, I didn't know I had endo and I pushed myself really far. And I really tried to keep up with my able-bodied peers. And that never worked out for me. So now that I know I have endo, I have not taken a single trip in six years. Or any trips you do take, <laughs> you're well equipped for. <laughs> so back to my point about the butthole. So all this is leading
1: back. <laughs> it's all about the butthole. All this is okay. leading
0: back to the butthole. But because of the bacterial infection, I got so much—I don't know—bacterial diarrhea or something. But I ended up growing a fungus in my butthole. Oh my gosh! Wait, and so like the first day like it was right when we were leaving china it was a couple days after i got treated and i got medicine and like oh, i was finally feeling better i slept for like three days straight apparently i just could not be woken for like three days and i had a really high fever i mean i actually could have died afterwards when we were leaving we were you know going back on the plane to go to japan oh my god like my butthole was so itchy but like itchy to the point where you ever have those scratches where you're like compulsed yeah you have to to scratch this itch you have to do it that's how it was it was so freaking itchy like i literally i was like i know i'm scratching my butthole but like i have to it felt like i had poison oak or poison ivy like, oh no. in my butthole the itch was so intense so wait the whole time with my friends i'm like i'm sorry it's something in my butthole i have to so then we were in we were in the airport. I asked my friend to go because- Oh
1: my gosh. It was so
0: itchy. I like, was- There has to be something I wrong. was like going yeah. out of my skin from the itch. And I've only felt this a couple of times in my life. And it's usually had to do with like severe skin infections where you need to take like a shot of penicillin and serious medication to make it go down. And so we went in the bathroom in the airport and I was like, she came in the stall with me and I pulled my pants down and I like put my butthole and she looked because I couldn't see in a mirror. Of and course. I was like, and I was like, "I'm sorry, I really need you to look at my butthole." And so,
1: my dear, that's <laughs> next amazing <level> friendship. Friend. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> looked at my butthole in the airport bathroom. <laughs> and she was like, "Oh my god, my butthole was growing a purple fungus." Oh my god, there was a purple raised rash that was like bigger than a quarter. I mean, huge, like maybe like three times the size of a quarter. I'm talking big. Around my butthole. Oh my! And goodness. she was like, "Oh my God, there's something actually wrong with your butthole." And I was like, "Oh my God!" And then I was so scared the whole way back to Japan. I was like, it was oh, "I don't remember my how." Yeah, like a four or five hour flight. I was like, "I'm so scared. What's going on?" I was so itchy. I was literally felt like one of those dogs. I wanted to drag my butthole on. I was just like, "Now you get it. Now you get it. Why they do it? When I see a dog do it, I'm like, like, you go get it, doggy. It's itchy (laughs) back there. It is itchy. I get it. I know what you're talking about.' Oh lord. It was endo on the butthole. No, just kidding. It was not. But wait. So then I went back to Japan, and then I had to go to the doctor.
1: You're like, <laughs> excuse me, Japanese doctor, so can I you went, look at
0: my butthole? <laughs> at this time, because I, I lived in two different cities in Japan. So the first year I lived there, I lived in a really small, really small little town. It was really beautiful, really nice way to be part of the community and learn Japanese and meet really wonderful people. So I went to the doctor the day I got back. And the doctor was just so, I think, freaked out by the idea of like, looking at my butthole. And plus, I'm I'm foreign and Japanese culture is very respectful. So it was just, it was a clash of cultures and obviously uncomfortable situation to have someone look at your butthole, even though they're the doctor. So he looked at my butthole, gave me cream, gave me pills. My butthole felt so much better after like three days. Oh my God, the itch. So then wait, I was at school where I worked at that time in kindergarten and I was there when all the parents were coming to pick up their children. And who did I bump into? <gasps> the doctor. Oh, who
1: looked my God. At the butthole. <laughs> Turned out that oh, I
0: no. was teaching one of his children in oh, kindergarten, Lord. Lord, which isn't like really a big deal, but it but just so, is. That's mortifying. So awkward. <laughs> oh, no. So. Well, yeah, I think ultimately we need to We say, did some very deep bowing to each other yeah, in that moment. Like when I was like, oh, here's your daughter who I'm teaching English to. Then we were just like bowing, just like... How low can you go? We were both bowing like, yes, thank you. And he's like, you know, bow." he's probably thanking me for his daughter. I'm just like thanking... Just we're both saying thank you, but yes. I'm just thinking like...
1: Thank you for You're helping me with my butthole. And that is my story about... My itchy. Butthole. Oh my gosh. Well, you know what? Thank you to the Chinese doctors for saving your life. And thank <laughs> you to that Japanese doctor for looking at your butthole. <laughs> thank you, doctors. <laughs> well, it's hard because I didn't have the
0: vocabulary at the time to talk about my butthole. So you have to imagine the cultural situation mm-hmm. is the situations are different. And also, like, you might even be embarrassed to talk to your doctor in English. The language that you're fluent in about your butthole but like I did not even have the vocabulary I was just like <laughs> pointing at my butthole and I was saying the word itchy and then I was making itchy gestures oh, and then gosh. he was kind of not get he was like he probably got it but then he was like I'm not sure if I'm getting it so he pulled out this pad of paper and he drew like a stick person and then he was like can you put an arrow where you're itchy? So I like drew a butt on a stick person. <laughs> oh and then I put an arrow like into where the butthole would be. It gets better. And so the whole situation, it's not just like he looked at my butthole. It was like the whole you thing was so You had to explain so to him how to comment f- that it's your butthole. And oh my so, gosh. and then I was like, in, I had like a little pocket dictionary. And I was like looking up the word butthole and showing it it's to like, him. It's like anus there. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking up like. Yeah, I think I did look up Eina and I was like, <laughs> this is what's itchy and then he was using Oh no. We were using the the Yahoo translator mm. on the computer. He would type it in Japanese and then it would show up in
1: English. English oh my and then goodness. I put it in English so we were communicating. Wow, his commitment to try to translate uh
0: the Yahoo translator so it was literally it was props it,
1: to that doctor though he could have just been like i don't get it leave <laughs> no i mean maybe i would have so <laughs> props to that doctor oh, thank he you he was
0: wonderful and then i and then we just kept seeing each other at kindergarten <laughs> oh, gosh it's that is like, like, a doozy hey. and i made sure whenever he was around to not itch my butthole in front yes. of him yeah yeah i waited Be- till best he, practice i waited <laughs> till
1: he left because i was like oh, i gotta itch him right now <laughs> <'Cause> i <did. laughs> oh bless that doctor <laughs> wherever they are
0: bless them <laughs> so we'll leave you with that really random tangent about itchy buttholes
1: aren't you glad that i said my worst place would be my
0: butthole <laughs> <laughs> they're probably not they're probably already clicked <laughs> off if you stayed to the end of this thank you you your <laughs> credit to you <laughs> all right so thank you so much for listening i'm so glad no one had to excise my butthole thank goodness and and we will be back next week to talk about how I'm doing three years post excision and all the different ways that I'm still trying to heal my body and to recover after having excision surgery. Go at your butthole.
1: <laughs> Ooh, thank you. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Will do. Bye.